This is our last session together <clears throat> to be able to talk about friendship. Uh, I just want to say thank you. It's been very encouraging to be here. So uh, this is a new set of talks for me. Uh, some may think that you just kind of have a set of talks and go everywhere and do them. I do try as much as possible to use uh, different things, but this time uh, the Lord was like, we're going to talk about friendship. I've never talked about this before. Uh, never done a sermon series on this, and so it's been really uh, great to write these and pray through these and work through them. And so I just want to say thank you for being receptive audience. It's been fun uh, listening to questions and engaging with you about these things. And my prayer is, is that the Lord uh, does indeed bless you in the area of friendship. Uh, we have uh, had some great sessions together. This is our last one. Tomorrow morning, there is another session, but uh, Ambush is doing that one. And so um, this is my last time to get to be with you. We prayed, but again, I love prayer. So if you wouldn't mind, I'd like to, to lead us in prayer one more time um, before we uh, dive in and open God's word. Father, we do thank you. Uh, thank you, Lord, for uh, what's going on around the world uh, in Belarus. Lord, we praise you for that, for what you're doing in Israel. <clears throat> Lord, we didn't get to see uh, that information tonight, um, but Lord, we've heard snippets, and God, it's great to know uh, that you have not forgotten anybody in this world, including uh, the children of Abraham. And so, God, we praise you for that. We thank you, Lord, for what's going on at Gull Lake. Uh, Lord, we praise you for this new laundry facility and that most of us, uh, we didn't notice uh, necessarily uh, a huge change. We're not the ones who had to put the quarters in the dryer. Uh, but, God, we praise you that those who are, seem to be unnoticed, uh, God, who are working behind the scenes, that you've chosen to honor those who are serving and give them a better facility in which to work. And we praise you for that. Thank you for the monies being raised uh, even now. Uh, for these new properties, uh, God, that Tim told us about. Uh, use them for your glory. God, thank you for your word. Uh, Lord, uh, what a blessing it is to be able to gather here uh, in, in creation <clears throat> where we get to see what Psalm 19 says, uh, that day after day the heavens pour forth your praises. And Lord, uh, it was just, uh, it, the day was full of praise as the sun shone down and there was uh, laughter and joy uh, and God, in the rest of Psalm 19, tells us that it's your word uh, that also speaks to our hearts. And so, God, we've gathered here tonight, having been affirmed in creation that you are a good, kind, and wonderful God. We pray that as we open your word tonight, I pray that you would impress upon our hearts that you're also a God who longs for all people to come to know uh, Jesus Christ and to have eternal life. We ask this in his name. Amen. A couple of years ago, uh, my wife, Lisa, had an opportunity to go to work for uh, Gordon Food Service as a, what they call a care partner. It's sort of a chaplain, uh, a work chaplain. <clears throat> and so this was a real stretch for her. Um, it involved sort of walking around and making small talk with people who didn't always want to have conversation with you and sort of in five-minute uh, kind of snippets to try to get to know people and build relationships with them. That's not as much her style. She prefers relationships that go much deeper, where you have time to be able to get to know people over a longer period of time. But she very clearly recognized this as being from the Lord, a gift. Uh, Gordon Food Service is a fantastic company, and she felt very privileged uh, to be a part of that and be able to, to work there. And she saw that the Lord was stretching her by asking her to take the initiative and just walk up to people that she didn't know and try to begin a conversation. But at some point, uh, during that, she would come home, frustrated is maybe too strong of a word, but just longing to go deeper and wanting more than just the kind of five-minute snippet conversations. And so 
she and I just began to pray together. Lord, uh, would you open the door for there to be more instead of just talking about uh, sports teams or what happened at church this past weekend or what might be going on in the workplace or whatever. And God responded to that prayer. And there was a woman uh, who worked at Gordon Foods who uh, asked Lisa if they could start meeting together. And she was going through a very difficult time. She was from another country. And uh, she was going through a difficult uh, divorce. And she was uh, totally lost in sort of the system. Uh, not a Christian at all. Came from a Hindu background. And so uh, Lisa began to meet with her. Uh, now, as part of this, she ended up uh, having to quit uh, Gordon Foods because of the amount of travel that was taking her away during this time of divorce and the struggle she was going through, trying to adapt to now being a single mom uh, with her kids. And so she was really lost in the system. And so Lisa befriended her and uh, started to invite her to church. And so uh, every other week uh, when she didn't have her uh, girls because her ex-husband wouldn't let her uh, bring them to church, uh, she comes to our church and she comes and sits with our family and uh, she's in the process of working through how it is Jesus might fit with what she was raised uh, in a Hindu background to understand about who he is, but I watch and uh, regularly there she is praising Jesus. And uh, it's pretty crazy, it's pretty great to see. And you know, we have to sit in the second row because I have to be sort of near the front. She comes right in and sits with us and it's a wonderful, amazing thing to see uh, that this friendship uh, that Lisa formed with this woman who perhaps there was nothing that you might have thought would have brought them together, uh, an opportunity that the Lord is using to help uh, lead this woman uh, to faith in Jesus. You know, we've been talking this week about friendships and those of you who are old enough will remember there was a famous Michael W. Smith song, uh, Friends are Friends Forever, when the Lord's the Lord of them. And although the song has probably faded in, and maybe well so, into oblivion, the idea is as true as it could possibly be, that friendships are eternal. And that the idea is, is that on one hand, that's really great news when we're friends with Christians because we know we're going to be friends forever. But it's also an impetus to form friendships with non-Christians and to be able to use those friendships to help people come to know Jesus as their Lord and Savior. And so for our final session, I told you I wanted to talk about uh, friendships with non-Christians and I'd like to share and talk together about the opportunity that we have to be friends with those who don't know Jesus, uh, to help them come to know him in a saving way. So I, if you would, please take your Bible and turn to Luke chapter 16. Luke chapter 16. Luke chapter 16 contains a parable. I'm going to read it in just a second. The parable is a little bit um, sometimes a little tricky to kind of understand exactly what's going on in the parable because our work situations today don't work exactly the way uh, Jesus uh, says in this parable when they worked sort of 2,000 years ago. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to read the parable and then I'm going to show a movie clip which I think sort of illustrates a modern version or retelling of this sort of parable. And uh, hopefully between the parable and the movie clip, uh, we'll get a good idea of uh, the, the point Jesus is trying to make here. So Luke 16, 
Jesus told his disciples, there was a rich man whose manager was accused of wasting his possessions. So he called him in and asked him, what is this I hear about? You give an account of your management because you cannot be manager any longer. The manager said to himself, what shall I do now? My master is taking away my job. I'm not strong enough to dig and I'm ashamed to beg. I know what I'll do so that when I lose my job here, people will welcome me into their houses. So he called in each one of his master's debtors. He asked the first, how much do you owe my master? 900 gallons of olive oil, he replied. The manager told him, take your bill, sit down quickly and make it 450. Then he asked the second, how much do you owe? A thousand bushels of wheat, he replied. He told him, take your bill and make it 800. The master commended the dishonest manager because he had acted shrewdly. For the people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than are the people of the light. So that's the parable that Jesus told. And the great things about the truths that Jesus tells us is we can find them repeated in lots of different ways. So here is a uh, movie clip that might uh, also tell the same idea in a different sort of way. Nope. Can you play the movie from back there, Polar? Denied? You're denying my claim? I don't understand. I have full coverage. I'm sorry, Mrs. Hoganson, but our liability is spelled out in paragraph 17. It states clearly. I didn't pay for this. Excuse me. Claims, Bob Parr. I'm calling to celebrate a momentous occasion. We are now officially moved in. Yeah, well, that's great, honey. And the last three years don't count because... Because I finally unpacked the last box. Now it's official. Ha, ha, ha. Why do we have so much junk? Listen, honey, I've got a quiet. Say no more. Go save the world one policy at a time, honey. Oh, I gotta go pick up the kids from school. See you tonight. Bye, honey. Excuse me. Where were we? I'm on a fixed income. And if you can't help me, I don't know what I'll do. All right, listen closely. I'd like to help you, but I can't. I'd like to tell you to take a copy of your policy to Norma Wilcox on... Norma Wilcox, W-I-L-C-O-X, on the third floor, but I can't. I also do not advise you to fill out and file a WS-2475 form with our legal department on the second floor. I would not expect someone to get back to you quickly to resolve the matter. I'd like to help, but there's nothing I can do. Oh, thank you, ma'am. I'm sorry, ma'am. I know you're upset. Pretend to be upset. (laughs) You authorized payment on the Walker policy? Someone broke into their house, Mr. Huff. Their policy clearly covers them against... I don't want to know about their coverage, Bob. Don't tell me about their coverage. Tell me how you're keeping insurecare in the black. Tell me how that's possible with you writing checks to every Harry Hardluck and Sally Sob story that gives you a phone call. <clears throat> you may remember that clip from The Incredibles. The idea is the same uh, idea that Jesus is talking about here. Uh, Mr. Incredible, uh, who's working at InsuraCare, has realized that while he's not able to exercise his superhero powers in public, he can still help people. And he's realized that his job, he can use whatever assets or resources are at his disposal uh, to try to bring about good for people. That's Jesus' point in Luke 16. He's talking about the fact that each one of us have resources available to us and that we have a choice what to do with those resources. The idea here is, is that the job 
does not correspond, the job in Luke 16 and the job in the movie doesn't correspond just to your job or to my job. It corresponds to life. And we've got a certain period of time in which we're going to work for life, and then it's over. And Jesus says, what you do during that life to engage with people, to help people, to form friendships with people, that matters for eternity. The key point of the parable, verse 9, Luke 16, Jesus says, I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves so that when it is gone, you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. Mr. Incredible was using the resources at his disposal to try to help people, forming friendships. Jesus is saying this is what we're supposed to do, not just sort of at our jobs, but in life. And it's a command from Jesus that says, use worldly wealth to build friends for yourself so that when this life is over, you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. We often say this about money, you can't take it with you. It's true. We say that there are things that you can't take from this life into the next. It's true. But there is something you can take, and that's friendships. And Jesus' point is, use what's available to you in this life to help people come to faith in Christ because that friendship and that relationship will last for eternity. And it's a pretty smart investment to spend money now that you can't take with you to turn someone into an eternal friend that you will be friends with forever. Now the problem is, it's a direct command from Jesus. Use worldly wealth to win for yourselves friends that will be your friends forever. This is evangelism. The problem is, is that most of us aren't doing this. I'm reminded of the story of Jonah. Jonah is uh, the most evangelistic Old Testament book. Jonah was given a command by God to go to Nineveh and win some friends, to go there and share the gospel with them uh, and have them become his friend for eternity. What does Jonah choose to do? He gets on a boat and he goes the other direction. Now the problem is, is that Jonah's disobedience puts his new friends on the boat in some danger. So they willingly take him on the boat. Seems like a good guy. He's paid for his passage. They head out to sea. And all of a sudden, there's this huge storm and they're going to drown. And these people are worried that they're going to die. And Jonah, what's Jonah doing? Does anyone know? He's asleep. And the captain wakes him up. And what does the captain say to him? Don't you care that we're perishing? Pray to your God and ask for help. Don't you care? Don't you care that we're perishing? And Jonah's disobedience was putting the people around him in danger. Now, I know something about that. My dad was not, uh, he was not born into a Christian family. He became a Christian when he was 44 years old. Uh, I was about, uh, I was born at that time. Um, and he came to Christ in a very powerful way. I was a young child. I have very faint memories of him before he was a Christian. 
but most of my life, I remember him as a brand new Christian, and he was on fire for Jesus, and he had a gift of evangelism. Uh, and we were part of a church where they did at that time door-to-door evangelism. Uh, we did something called Evangelism Explosion. Uh, you may be familiar with that program. You went door-to-door and knocked on door. I hated it. He dragged me with them, and we would go and do it. It's terrible. I went off to college, and I joined Campus Crusade. Campus Crusade was also uh, big on uh, what they called initiative evangelism, where you sort of walked up and you talked to people and shared the gospel with them. I was terrible at it. We did it. When I went to Dallas Seminary, uh, I joined a group that went out every Friday night uh, to share the gospel in a section of Dallas called Deep Ellum. And you were supposed to just uh, try to strike up conversations with people and share the gospel with them. I was horrible at it. I got to Calvary Church, which is the church where I'm currently the pastor. The person who had been the pastor before me had a gift of evangelism. One of my greatest fears in showing up at the church is I hope nobody here requires me to be an evangelist because I don't have that gift. I've seen people with the gift of evangelism and I'm jealous. I'm still jealous when I watch people who have that ability to lead others to faith. And one of my greatest fears was someday somebody was going to ask at Calvary Church, hey, how many people have you led to faith? And then the, then the game would be over and they would realize that I was a fraud. I always was like, oh no, we cannot do altar calls because if we do an altar call, it will be a display for all these people to see what a failure I am at evangelism. And so I just at some point came to grips with the fact that everybody's got different kinds of gifts. That's just not my gift. So I did feel like the Lord gave me a gift of teaching and so I just wanted to focus on those kinds of things. And so, but on one particular Sunday morning, I was preaching through 1 Corinthians 15. It was Easter Sunday morning. And uh, I had lined it up so that 1 Corinthians 15, which is a a good gospel presentation, uh, Christ died according to the scriptures. He was buried. He was raised from the dead according to the scriptures on the third day. That it would be lined up for Easter Sunday. I stood up. I preached 1 Corinthians 15. And I did a really excellent job, I thought. (laughs) And nobody responded. I sat down in my seat in my head. I just simply said, well, it's because I'm not an evangelist. And so, but I did my job. I at least told them about Jesus. I get paid to do that. I checked it off and I thought, now I can go back to just doing what I like doing, just teaching Christians. And there was something within me that was God. And he seemed to be saying, what's the matter with you? Don't you care that there are people here who are perishing? Don't you care that there are people here who are dying and going to hell? It's not really about whether you're a good evangelist or you're not a good evangelist. Do you not care? You know, it was one of those moments where God sort of pulls back the veil and all your justifications and your rationalizations and your reasons, you realize those are just masking fears. Just masking fear that I'm not any good at this that I've been around people who are good at this and I've seen them do this and I can't do that kind of stuff. And if anybody ever holds me accountable, if there's ever sort of accountability for evangelism and those sorts of things, I'm gonna be shown to be a fraud. And so all those justifications and rationalizations and reasons were just simply cover for, I can't do this and I'm scared. I don't know about you. I don't know what your rationalizations or justifications might be. Maybe you think, well, that's the church's job or that's the pastor's job. I'm not, I'm not able to do that. 
Maybe you say to yourself, I don't, I don't really have any non-Christian friends, so I can't, be expected, I can't be expected to share the gospel with them. You may think to yourself, but they'll probably ask questions and I won't be able to answer those. Somebody else would be better to do that. Maybe you say to yourself, they know I'm a Christian. If they want to know more about Jesus, they're free to ask. If they're not asking, it's because they don't want to know any more about it. I don't know what you may be saying to yourself. I'm just telling you I know what mine were. And when God pulled that back at the root in my case, those ended up just being rationalizations and justifications and reasons that were masking a deeper fear that I didn't think I was going to be able to do that. And that if that was a requirement, if God wanted that from me, I was in deep trouble. Paul says it this way in 2 Corinthians 5. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone, the new is here. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the ministry, the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's half, on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Just as clear a command as it is in Luke 16, Jesus says, use worldly wealth to win people to Christ. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, we have been entrusted with the gospel to be ambassadors for Jesus. And to be honest with you, the truth of the matter is I just simply wasn't doing it. Well, on that fateful Sunday morning, when the Lord pulled back the veil and told me that all those rationalizations and justifications were just that, rationalizations and justifications, I immediately was hit with an overwhelming sense of fear. You know, Jonah learned this. You can hide from people, but you can't hide from God. And once he calls you out, and you know he knows, and you know you know, there's no place to hide. So I went and found some books on evangelism, and I read them. And you know what? They made me feel worse. Books on evangelism tend to be written by people who are good at evangelism. They tend to be written by people who have gifts for evangelism. That was my problem. I don't have those. I don't just naturally walk up to people or in the midst of friendships be able to talk about those. That's just, I love talking about Jesus, but I do have a hard time making that transition. And so you read these books, and these are written by people with gifts of evangelism, and you read them, and you just feel worse about yourself and your own gifts and your own abilities. And so I got done reading, I think, two or three books, and I thought, oh, this is terrible. One of the books recommended that if you're a pastor, you should have your elders fire you if you don't lead enough people to faith. I was like, that is my worst fear. <laughs> who would ever, do? it was actually Charles Spurgeon who said that. I thought, oh, this is never going to work. And in the midst of despair, I read a verse that I had read hundreds of times before. You know how when this happens when you read a verse and you're like, did I not see this before? Did I not understand this before? And it was a verse 
when Jesus is calling Peter to come and be a disciple. And he says to Peter, I will make you a fisher of men. And for whatever reason, for the first time, it sort of hit me in a new way. Wait a minute. Jesus says he'll make me into an evangelist. It's not my job to figure it out. It's not my job to try to motivate myself. It's not my job to try to train myself. It's not my job to beat myself up. It's his job to do that in me. And that was his promise. And it was like the heavens opened up and I felt like Jesus was saying, if you'll let me do my job, I'll do what I'm good at doing. And on that fateful day, I simply said to Jesus, I would like to be better at evangelism. He didn't give me a gift of evangelism, but I just simply said to him, if you're willing, Jesus, I want to be a fisher of men. I want to be a person who helps people come into the faith. I want to be a person who wins friends for eternity. I want to be a person who can read these passages and not feel that internal guilt where you've got to put the rationalizations and the justifications over it. And I simply said to him, I'm here. If you're willing to do it, I'm ready. And he did. The question is, of course, how? Well, I'll just tell you from my experience. And my experience was this. In Luke 16, Jesus says, use whatever is at your disposal. He says worldly wealth, but it's a parable. And the worldly wealth represents anything that you have. I don't have a gift of evangelism, so I couldn't use that. I don't have the kind of testimony that I always wished I had, you know, those kind of testimonies where you didn't know anything about Jesus and you might have been on alcohol or drugs or complete rebellion against God and then he saved you. Like my dad, I didn't have a testimony like my dad's. I didn't have that. That wasn't at my disposal. When I would somebody tell me, how did you become a Christian? I was like, well, I was four, I think, and I prayed, and I think it took. That's kind of hard to people like, yeah, that, I'm fired up. Where do I say the prayer? <laughs> and you know, I spent a lot of years being jealous of people's testimonies. And they would stand up in church and share their testimony, and I would just think, foolishly, foolishly, if only I had that testimony. That wasn't at my disposal. I didn't have a gift of evangelism. I didn't have that kind of testimony. I didn't have the kind of personality that could just somehow find a way in the midst of casual conversation to bridge things into whatever you're going to talk about Jesus. I see people do that, and I can't do that. The great thing is in Luke 16, the point is use whatever you do have. And so the first thing I felt like Jesus said to me was, he's like, well, you know how to pray which I do. I feel like I have gifts that help me be a person who prays. And he brought me to this statement, which I found to be really powerful by a guy named Louis Spirit Chafer, who was an evangelist. He said, it's more important to talk to God about people than to talk to people about God. And I thought, well, I'm scared to talk to people about God, but I'm not so scared to talk to God about people. And so what was at my disposal was prayer. And so uh, Lisa and I, and then also our whole church, we uh, decided to begin to pray for three non-Christian friends who didn't know Jesus and just committed to pray for them every day. I did not make a commitment to talk to them. 
I just made a commitment to pray. And to be honest, the three people who went on the list, friends at that point might have been a bit of a stretch. They were simply non-Christians that I knew that I'd been in high school with uh, who didn't know Jesus. But I knew, okay, I do know how to pray. And if, if that's where I'm supposed to start, that's where I'm supposed to start. And we started to pray for them every day. I prayed for mine. She prayed for hers. Uh, we prayed every day. God was super kind. The first two on the list, people in our church will know them. Their names are Mike and Nikki Metcalf. Uh, they came to faith. I didn't have anything to do with it. <laughs> they came to faith in a really powerful way. They showed up to Calvary Church because we were friends in high school. And they're like, well, that's kind of weird that you're a preacher now. <clears throat> yeah. So they showed up for the novelty of seeing what this might look like. Uh, and if uh, some of them here know uh, Nikki, she'll say she started bawling from the moment she set foot in the door. Long before I ever got up and shared anything, uh, she just simply showed up and the Lord saved her. Uh, and her husband, the other person on the list, that one, uh, his name's Max. It took about five years. I had so many times in which I just got done. I'm praying for him every day for five years. There was one time... <laughs> We were dropping our kids off for school, and he says to me, hey, do you see that program on the History Channel about the Bible? I don't know if you remember, there was a number of years ago, there was a great, you could have driven a Mack truck through that door. I, I chickened out. I didn't say anything. I went home, and I got ready to pray for him the next day, and I just was like, what are you doing? This was your chance. And I begged for God's forgiveness, and then I just tried again. And you know what? God was faithful. Uh, he ended up leading uh, Max to the Lord. I got the chance to be able to do that. It was really powerful. It was wonderful. There were some other things that the Lord said you have at your disposal. Uh, I do have a gift for teaching. And so the Lord's allowed me in certain cases to use a gift for teaching to be able to see people come to faith. I thought you had to have a gift of evangelism to lead someone to faith. You can lead anybody to faith. If you've got a gift of giving, your generous gift can help somebody come to faith. If you've got a gift of mercy, you showing mercy to someone can help them come to faith. It was very freeing when Jesus says, use what you have, not what you don't have. And so I have a gift of teaching, and so it often takes a long time. It's not surprising it took Max a long time. We actually started a Bible study, Mike and, Nick, Mike and I, to help Max come to faith because... Well, I didn't know what to do except to try to teach. And so it took a long time, but that was what the Lord had given me to do. Another thing the Lord gave me that was at my disposal is that uh, I coach my kids' soccer teams. I don't love coaching my kids' soccer. I love coaching my kids. Just maybe some of the other kids don't make it nearly perhaps as fun. But this is an opportunity to do that. The crazy thing is the last person uh, that I led to faith... Um, a few months ago, his daughter was on my daughter's soccer team. And God used the fact that he showed up uh, every day to soccer practice. And at some point I was like, again, I'm praying for him. And the Lord's like, invite him to a Bible study. And I'm like, no, I, he's not going to be interested. I knew him in high school. He's not going to be interested. And crazily enough, he was. Uh, and he came to faith. Another thing that's at my disposal is I live in the town that I grew up in. 
Jesus says the prophet's not without honor in his hometown. And when he asked me to move back to my hometown, I'm like, you're the one who said that this doesn't go very well. And then he said, yeah, but I still went to Nazareth. And I was like, okay, good point. So he sent me back to the town that I grew up in. What I didn't understand that Jesus did was when you're a pastor, I mean, there is no faster way to shut down a conversation with a non-Christian than to tell me you're a pastor. I mean, it is a showstopper. Literally, as a side note, Lisa and I went to a block party that we were having because we wanted to be evangelistic. I literally was having a conversation with a woman and I asked her all sorts of questions about herself and she shared all sorts of stuff about herself. And then I think she wanted to be polite, so she started asking me questions. And she's like, what do you do? And I was like, um, I work in nonprofit. And so... So she's being tenaciously polite, and she's like, well, what kind of nonprofit? And I'm like, well, I work at a church. And she's like, I think she was still hoping I might have been like the custodial manager or something. <laughs> she's like, well, what do you do there? And I'm like, I'm a pastor. Literally, this is, I, I do often exaggerate, but this is not an exaggeration. She stopped the conversation, turned, and left. It was just the end. It was the end of the conversation. Well, the Lord knew I got to go back and live among people who knew me before I was a pastor, for whom every one of them was like, you do what now? But the great thing is, is that God says, you know what, you have some relationships with them. And most of the people that I've led to faith are not people that I just met on the street. They're people that I knew and I know something about their history. And the Lord's like, you use what you have available to you. One other thing that I have available to me uh, are some failures as a Christian, as a husband, and as a parent. And uh, at one point, God gave me enough courage uh, with Mike, my friend, to start a Bible study. Max and I now lead it together. And it's a Bible study with people from our town that we live in. And uh, the things that have been most powerful have not been the teachings. It's been as I've shared stories. Of the, and, and one of the guys uh, just simply said, I figured you as a pastor would have it all together. And when you're just open and honest about the fact that here's what's going wrong in parenting, uh, one of the guys came to faith because his child was going through something similar that my child was going through. The very powerful freeing thing is Jesus says in Luke 16, you just use what's at your disposal. And so the question is for you. Uh, The Lord has done what he said he would do. I still don't have a gift of evangelism. It's still not for my first inclination to think, how do I weave a gospel presentation into every message that I preach? But the Lord has given me a heart and a desire to see non-Christian friends come to faith. And the question I want to leave you with tonight is, what about you? If you remember in John 15... When we were talking about the definition of friendship, this is on our very first session. Jesus says, I have called you friends for everything I learned from my Father I have made known to you. At the heart of the definition of what it means to be a friend, you have to share what God's revealed to you. And for that non-Christian in your life, if you do not share what the Father has revealed to you, The truth of the matter is you haven't really been their friend. And I'm going to look at your faces and feel the same way that I've felt in the past. There's fear. There's confusion. I just want to tell you, if you're willing to ask Jesus to do for you what he did for me, 
what he did for Peter, what he's done for everybody. The burden is on his shoulders. All you have to do is be willing. And the thing I found about God, he's unbelievably kind. The moment you say to him, Jesus, I'd like you to help me become more evangelistic, he does not send you out to knock on doors to go share the gospel with your neighbors. It just doesn't work that. He's too kind to do that. He says, let's start where you're at. And whatever it may be, for me it was prayer. And if you have nowhere to start, I would tell you, it is more important to talk to God about people than people about God. And if there's nothing else that you can do, just pick the names of one or two or three non-Christian friends and just pray for them every day. See what happens. I promise you, he will do something. But what he'll do is he'll take whatever you currently have in your life. It may be a divorce you're going through. It may be cancer. It may be two, two uh, children who are friends on a sports team. All he wants to do is use what you currently have to help you win for yourself friends for eternity. And the point Jesus is making is, if you'll let me, I will. And so my encouragement to you is, what Jesus wants for you is some more friends. Not just good Christian friends who are already Christians. He wants you to know the joy of seeing somebody who doesn't know him come to know him and for you to win for yourself a friend for eternity. If you're scared, that's okay. If you don't know what to do, that's okay. All he wants is you to say, Jesus, I'm willing, and he'll take care of the rest. My personal experience is that when I did that, I simply found he was an incredibly good friend to me <laughs> and walked me gently through the process over a long period of time. This is the end of our six sessions together, and so I want to leave you with the one thing that if you take nothing else out of all of these sessions, it's this. The great thing about talking about friendship is that Jesus is the best friend you're ever going to have. And my experience in being afraid of evangelism and being afraid of not measuring up and being afraid of doing these things, he was a friend to me in that. And the promise is, is that if you will let him, Jesus is your friend and will walk you through choosing friends and being a friend. Jesus will walk alongside of you when you go through trying to be friends with your spouse. That Jesus wants to walk alongside of you as you deal with the issues of betrayal. That Jesus will walk alongside of you when you talk about dealing with Christians who are caught in sin. And Jesus will walk alongside of you as your friend when you think about evangelism with non-Christians. The essence of the whole thing, the reason why friendship is so fantastic is because Jesus himself is our friend. And if at the end of all of these talks you think, well, I'm not, I still don't know how to do this with, thing with my spouse and I'm still not sure what to do with a, a Christian who is uh, in sin and I'm sure, I sure don't know what to do with non-Christian. The good news is the creator of all the universe, the one who died on a cross for your sins is your friend. He will not leave you. He will not forsake you. The only thing that will stop him from doing 
What he wants to do is if you won't let him. And if you're willing, with friendships, friendship with your spouse, betrayals, friends caught in sin, non-Christians, let him be your friend. And let him lead you on the journey that he wants to take you on. And you, like everyone else, when we get to heaven, will realize what a friend we have in Jesus. He's led me every step of the way. So please don't be afraid. There's lots to do when it comes to friendship. There's lots to think about. But you have a friend in Jesus who will walk with you and guide you and help you and love you and protect you and lead you and take better care of you than you would ever be able to take care of yourself. Let's pray together. Jesus, we thank you for being our friend. Lord, who are we? We're not even worthy to be called your servants, and yet you have called us friends. I thank you, Lord, uh, for being enough of a friend to expose my own fears and failures when it came to evangelism. I thank you for being a kind friend uh, that you didn't push me out into the deep end of the ocean and tell me to try to swim. I thank you that you've been a kind friend and walked each step of the way with me. Lord, I know that you would do that for each person here. And God, when it comes to evangelism, whatever rationalizations or justifications or reasons or excuses, Jesus, would you do for them what you did for me and simply shine your light on those things and let them know they're just rationalizations and justifications and excuses. And God, would you take them by the hand? And Jesus, would you walk with them step by step and would you make them fishers of men and women? Would you let them know the joy of seeing someone come into your eternal kingdom and form a friendship that will last for eternity? I thank you, Lord Jesus, that in these times together, as we have been talking together, it's been your friendship that has been the support for all of this. Help us, Lord, to choose and be friends to people. Help us, Father, in our marriage relationships to be friends with our spouse. Comfort our hearts, Jesus, as we walk through the betrayals that come, as we try to obey you in confronting others in their sin and as we're a witness for you. But thank you most of all, Jesus, for being our friend. We ask all these things in your name. Amen. We've used up our time. The talent show will start uh, roughly in about 10 minutes. If you have additional questions, uh, I'd be glad to talk with you. If the talent show's going on down front, we got 10 minutes. Uh, we can move to the back, uh, whatever it is. May the Lord bless you. Have a great evening. Back here in 10 minutes for the talent show.